Alright, Romans chapter 4. <clears throat> Having talked about how we all stand guilty before God, both Jew and Gentile, there's not a one of us who can claim righteousness in and of ourselves. That we all need a Savior, all of us need repentance. The Lord, uh, through the Apostle Paul, beginning with verse 21 of chapter 3, began to establish the type of righteousness that God is offering free of charge. It's his own righteousness in Christ. Not ours, not a righteousness that we earn or deserve, but a righteousness that's just flat given to us. And uh, chapter 4 continues talking about that righteousness which is above, from above, and imputed to us, given to us. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? Another way of, of saying that verse, or another way of, in, of, um, of interpreting that verse from the Greek would be, what then shall we say that Abraham, our father in the flesh, has found? In other words, what has Abraham learned about all this business? Abraham is a big wheel, you know. Abraham is the father of the Jews, the father of the faithful. So when you invoke the name of Abraham, people listen up. It's kind of like E.F. Hutton, you know. <laughs> and so Paul, wanting to make his point, says, let's just think now for a minute about what Abraham found out about all of this stuff. For if Abraham was justified by works, again alluding to the law that Paul's been talking about, how the law, circumcision, all that stuff that the Jews prided themselves on really was worthless in attaining righteousness. He says, if Abraham was justified or made righteous by works, he has something of which to boast, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And then he quotes from Genesis chapter 1 or 15 uh, verse 6. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Paul is talking about a, the righteousness that we need, which is by faith alone. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 says that by grace are we saved through faith. And that's not even of ourselves, it's a gift from God. Even the faith that saves us is a gift from God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This has always been God's plan, ever since the beginning. That's why Paul goes back and talks about Abraham. It's always been God's plan that men would be made righteous, not by works, not by the keeping of the law, not by the keeping of religious requirements, but by faith alone. Abraham lived 400 years before the law. And here was a man made righteous on the basis of his faith. Abraham was the father of the, of the nation of Israel, the father of the faithful. And Abraham was justified not by works, but by faith. It's always been God's plan. In the giving of the law, God was not saying, okay, forget faith. If you guys can just do these ten things, I'll make you righteous. You'll be righteous. We can just do these ten things. That wasn't God's plan. He gave the Ten Commandments, the law that we, and we read this before, 
that, he, that we might learn our need for a Savior. That we might see what God's requiring of us and realize by attempting to keep that or measure up that there was no way, baby. And realize that we need a Savior. It's like a schoolmaster. Paul uses that illustration. The law was like a schoolmaster to teach us our need for Christ. Our need for a, re a righteousness that came from God and not from me. It's always been God's plan that men would be made right before him by faith and not by works. And yet, we always keep trying to find good and righteousness in ourselves, don't we? We're always trying to find something good in ourselves. And yet, Paul says, that, hey, there's nothing good in me. Just a couple of chapters over, in chapter 7, verse 18, he says, there is nothing good in me. That is my flesh. In Isaiah 64, verse 6, it says, even our righteousness is like filth. And yet we're always trying to find, out, find something that's good. Yeah, God, I'm a wicked, rotten, creepy, crummy sinner, and I need your grace, but you know, I could do this pretty good. That's stupid. That doesn't make any sense. I'm bankrupt, Lord. I need salvation. Please forgive me and save me. But you know, you've got a real gem here because I can sure do this thing really well. What kind of sense does that make? And yet we do that all the time. And there are people espousing humanistic doctrine up one side and down the other of our country and the world today with this as their theme, that man is basically good. That man is good. If he could just have a chance, you know, if man can just have a chance, he'll prove his goodness. Well, that's not what the Bible says, and that's not what we know is true. There is nothing good about our flesh. It stinks, it's dead, it's rotten, it's sinful. It needs to be dealt with. It needs to be crucified, put away. We need to be resurrected. Even as Christians, we attempt to somehow add to or circumvent the fact that our righteousness, our standing with God is on the basis of faith alone by creating kind of our own law. Yeah, you know, we're saved by righteousness, but we're also saved because, you know, we don't dance, we don't drink, we don't smoke, we don't, you know, do these kinds of things. And especially as Christians, we, we try and, and make some sort of a law that we by our flesh can keep and somehow earn righteousness. But you can't. Righteousness is not earned. It can't be earned. We'll fail every time. Whether it's the law that God has given in the form of the Ten Commandments or some kind of law that we might construct, we will fail it. And so we need a righteousness that is something given to us free of charge, not something we can earn. Otherwise, we're in sad shape. We must have no confidence in the flesh. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3. Keep your finger there in Romans. We'll be back. But look at Philippians chapter 3. I really want to emphasize the fact that... Hmm, these Kleenex came crawling out of my Bible there. Um, I really want to emphasize the fact that, hey, 
if you're still trying to earn righteousness, it's, an, it's a, uh, a futile effort. Just quit it. Just relax. Just rest in the fact that you're uh, a sinner. And let Jesus make you righteous. Quit working at it because you're going to keep failing. We've got to stop having confidence in our flesh. Philippians 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 3, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law of Pharisee concerning zeal persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law blameless. Now that's heavy. If anybody could have confidence in his flesh, it's the Apostle Paul who could stand and honestly say, according to the righteousness in the law, I am blameless. Anyone else in that category here tonight? Huh? I don't see too many hands. What's the problem here? Paul, who could honestly say, he's not a liar, he could honestly say that according to the righteousness which is of the law, the guy was blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. But indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Let's quit having confidence in our flesh. Let's quit putting confidence in our abilities to please God. We cannot and that doesn't surprise God. I mean, he already knows that. You know, he doesn't, God doesn't get upset when you fail. You know that? He, he, it doesn't throw him for a loop when you blow it. Because that's all we're capable of doing, is blowing it. And he realizes that that's why Jesus came. We just need to settle the fact that there isn't anything in our flesh that's of value to the Lord. Oh, you might be able to impress your friends and, and you might be able to do pretty well in the eyes of the world, but as far as God is concerned, our flesh, our flesh is sinful. Our, our flesh is our own strengths, our own abilities. That which comes from us needs to be put to death. We need to quit having confidence in the flesh. Now Christ has completely taken care of sin. There isn't anything else for us to do. There isn't any part of our salvation that is left for us to earn. Christ has completely taken care of our sin. Jot this down if you're taking notes. 1 John 1.7 in chapter 2 verses 1 through 2 and talk about it talks about the fact that Christ Jesus has cleansed us, cleansed us of all iniquity all our sin 
And right now, this very minute, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. The fact that he's there makes intercession for us. And he is the propitiation, the mercy seat for our sin. He has completely taken care of the sin issue. Completely. There isn't any part of it left for you to take care of. And you need to just quit trying. Quit trying to earn it. Quit trying to work at it. Because you can't earn it. You can't make yourself deserving of it. It's a gift from God. All right, let's read verses 5 through 8. Romans chapter 4 But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly his faith is accounted for righteousness just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works and then he quotes from the psalm Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin he talks about here how the guy who just quits working at it, who, kid, who just finally quits trying to be good and quits trying to please God and just accepts the fact that God loves him and God has made provision for his right standing before him in Christ, that guy is blessed. Now, we're afraid of that posture, sort of, because we think that if we just quit working at it, if we just rest from our laboring to try to measure up to what we perceive to be God's standard, that somehow we'll just be sort of spiritual lazy bones. You know? And so there's something in us that resists that rest. It's like if we can't be trying to earn it, we're going to lose it or something. I want to talk just for a minute about the balance between faith and works. The works that are not the fruit of faith are worthless. The only works that count for anything as far as God is concerned are the works that are motivated, that are birthed out of faith. In James, turn over there real quick, James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do, you but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? 
Was not, now listen to this, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up, when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Now that's an, an exact uh, contradiction of what uh, Paul quoted from Genesis just a moment ago in Romans. Note that. James here says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, now he quotes the same passage that Paul quoted, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now let me try to make some sense of all that, because that can be a little confusing. Because Paul is just drilling this home, verse after verse, chapter after chapter, that there isn't any way in the world that by our own works we can earn the, good, the grace of God. And yet James now comes on and says, yeah, but if you're not out there working, brother, you don't have faith. And how can the two of them coexist? Now this is, the, this is the fact. The fact is, like Paul says, we cannot earn favor from God. We can be out there knocking on doors, passing out tracts, singing in the choir, and all of the other things that we think earn points with God, and still be lost. Because works cannot save us. There are churches full of people who are busy as little beavers. And they're going to find themselves in hell. Because works do not save. However, a faith that does not change the life of the person to the point where there is a natural outflow of works motivated by faith is not faith. If, if, you, if what you believe doesn't translate into some kind of action, you don't really believe it. It's like when um, we were out rafting last summer, family camp, and uh, got, to the, uh, got to this little quiet place, and the guy said, you guys can, can make your way up the side of this cliff to this little uh, perch up there, and dive off into the river. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, I believe I can do that. But I wasn't moving too fast to try. And I wasn't saying anything to anybody. But I saw these guys crawling up there, you know, and making their way up and then jumping off. And I saw those guys sail through the air for seemed like hours, you know, <laughs> before they hit the water. And I, I thought twice before I went up there. But finally, I did make my way up there and jump off, only once. But that was because what I believed, or what I was, uh, yeah, what I was believing about my ability, I believed enough to do something about it. You follow me there? If it's really belief, if you really believe it, You'll do something about it. If it's just words, 
You just stay in the boat. But if it's something you genuinely, genuinely believe, you get out and do something about it. Well, that's the way it is with faith and works. There's a balance here. We cannot earn favor with God. We cannot earn salvation or righteousness by our works. But if we have the kind of faith that saves us, it will produce works. Now, we have to be careful that we don't get the cart before the horse. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if I give everything I have to the poor, if I give my body to be burned and I don't have love, it profits me zip. If our works are not motivated out of a heart filled with love for the God who has pronounced us righteous on the basis of, of His grace alone, then our works profit us nothing. So you see, our righteousness comes by faith alone. But the kind of faith we're talking about is the kind of faith that motivates us to be different people. Okay. Verse 9 of Romans chapter 4. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcised also? For if we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness, how then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but, by, by, <laughs> but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who, who believe, though they are uncircumcised that righteousness might be imputed to them also and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised boy when he gets going on this circumcision and uncircumcision stuff it's really hard to follow but let me just put it in a nutshell he once again is addressing this problem that the Jews have their nose up in the air about the fact that they have the law and they have the circumcision and that's somehow supposed to score points for them with God and all these uncircumcised heathen are out to lunch and Paul has made several uh, attempts to show them how silly that all is in fact last week you remember he finally stretched that argument as far as it could go and said you know if you really follow that line of thinking you must be talking about the fact that there's two gods you know, the Jew, that hit right at the core of what the Jews believed because their basis of their... I mean, their great confession was, uh, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. And so he's showing that that attitude is foolishness and full of holes. And he says here, now, think about this, people. Abraham was justified. Abraham was made righteous by faith. When? Before or after he was circumcised? Before. And circumcision was only a sign, only a seal, only a symbolic act that something had transpired inside of the man's heart. It isn't circumcision that saved him or made him righteous, but his faith in God. He, his belief that God was able to do what he said that he would do. And that made him righteous. And circumcision was only a symbolic act. Now there are people who are, as I've already alluded to, that believe that there are 
certain religious requirements that if they can just keep them, if they can just show up to church on Easter and Christmas, if they can just take communion every once in a while, maybe get baptized as a baby, that they'll make it. But all those things are only symbolic acts. They're only outward signs indicating or should be indicating something that transpires on the inside. It's like our water baptism. There'll be people in a few weeks who we will be baptizing out at Little Hills Ranch in the swimming pool. When they go under, they don't get saved. When they go under, they demonstrate to all the rest of us that they have been saved. And so Paul puts to rest this circumcision, uncircumcision business. Goes on verse 13, For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. Notice this. He says, the promise that was given to Abraham about being a, a blessing to all the nations, that the whole world would be blessed through him, is something that could only be made sure if it was secured by faith alone. If God's promise of blessing is on the basis of works, then it's in a very precarious position. You follow me? If God's promises are on the basis of, are given on the basis of our ability to measure up to some standard, then those promises maybe or maybe not will be able to come to pass on, based on whether or whether or not we are, are able to keep the law. So the only way that our salvation, that, our, our, that these promise, promises of God can be sure is if they are given purely on the basis of faith. And in 1 John chapter um, see, 5, verse 13, says that these things are written that you might know that, you're, that you belong to Christ, that you can be sure. And the only way that you can be sure today that you're saved, that the promises of God are for you, and that you have a home with Him for eternity in heaven is because it's given to you by faith. If it was on the basis of your works, you, you'd have to kind of be running scared. And be praying things like, Lord, please don't come tonight because, you know, I, I, I'm not ready. Or, or Lord, you know, uh, I don't know if I blew it today or not, but just in case, uh, please forgive me because, boy, I sure want to go when it's time to go. You know, we're always running scared. But if, if our ability to receive the promises of God is on the basis of faith, then it's a sure bet. It's a sure thing. You can be secure in your salvation and in the promises of God. Now, let's finish this up. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. This was a promise to Abraham. In the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. That's the kind of God we serve. He, he looks on things that don't exist and he calls them forth. He calls them into being. He looks at things that, no, that 
uh, are dead and lifeless and speaks life to them. That's the kind of God we serve. He looks at me, a, a sinner destined for hell, and he calls forth a saint. Who contrary to hope, this is Abraham, who contrary to hope, in hope, believed, so that he could become the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so, your, so shall your descendants be. That's a quote. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who is delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Now Paul briefly outlines what it was about the way that Abraham believed that made it possible for him to receive this promise by faith. He said, first of all, he believed that what God said was true. When God said, Abe, you know, you're going to have a, a son. All of the nations are going to be blessed through your descendants. And Abraham had not had any children to this point. He said, I believe you. You're a man of your word. I believe you. A choice was made on Abraham's part to believe God. And that's where faith begins for us too. A choice that we make to just believe that God is not a liar. Then it says that Abraham um, didn't consider the fact that he, he was 100 years old and that his wife was uh, about the same age. He didn't consider the fact that had he gone to his physician, do not consider anything that our senses indicate to us. I mean, that's kind of foolishness. God gave us our five senses to help us navigate through this world. And circumstances are things that we should consider. I mean, if there's a car coming down the street, you ought to probably stop and wonder, just for a moment maybe, whether it's wise to step out in front of it. You know, God gave us our senses and circumstances help us navigate through life. However, when God's Word uh, takes a priority in our life, and there are circumstances that call God's word into conflict, we choose God's word over the circumstances. And that's what Abraham did. God had given Abraham his word, and Abraham said, I believe you. And he looked at his body, he looked at the body of his wife, and he said, well, no, I'm, I'm going to believe God. See? All right, then it says, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in his faith, giving glory to God. When we make those, those decisions to trust God's word, even in the face of adverse circumstances, God, this looks totally ridiculous, but you said it, I'm going to believe it, that settles it. Well, you get out there sometimes following the Lord in faith and you start to waver, you know? It says when Abraham did that, he had a solution for it. He gave glory to God. He was strengthened in his faith because he gave glory to God. And it's in those times when you're stepping out on what you believe to be God's word for you and you're, and you're refusing to accept circumstances that might say otherwise, but you find yourself beginning to falter a bit. It's time to begin to worship God, glorify Him, remind yourself of His faithfulness and His abilities. 
and you'll find yourself strengthened in faith like Abraham. And then finally, <clears throat> it says that uh, Abraham's faith, having come through that wavering, being strengthened uh, by giving glory to God, he found himself fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform. Isn't that neat? Fully convinced. And it says that because the man was fully convinced that what God said he was going to do, he was able to perform, that it was counted to him for righteousness. Now listen, just bear with me for a moment more. God has said, God has said, that if by faith we will receive his gift of salvation, his righteousness, that we will be called his sons, that we will be forgiven of our sins, that we will, we will be filled with his spirit, that we will be with him forever in eternity. God has said that. Now when the time comes that we choose to believe that God is not lying when he says that, we're on our way to being, to being saved. We have to start to ignore the circumstances of our own life. Well, I still, I still do some pretty crummy things. You know, I, I, and God says that I'm forgiven and I'm clean and I'm a saint, I'm going to heaven, all that kind of stuff, but boy, I, I sure do some pretty rotten things. We have to ignore the circumstances that are contrary to what God has said, like Abraham, who who chose to ignore the deadness of Sarah's womb and trusted what God said. And in those times when doubts begin to assail us and the enemy says, you're not saved. How can you call yourself a child of God? How can you dare say that you are a child of God? Look what you just did. In those times when we begin to waver in our faith, it's time to begin to worship God. Say, God, I thank you that this righteousness that I have is not by my works. But it's by faith alone. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that I stand before you in righteousness today, not because I didn't do that thing, or not because I did do that thing, but because you did. And then it says that we can come to that place where we are fully convinced that what he said he would do about presenting us to himself, holy and complete and perfect, he's able to perform. And boy, when that settles in upon you, let me tell you, you're really saved. Jude chapter, 20, or chapter 1, there's only one chapter in Jude, verse 24 says that he's able to present us faultless. He's able to, to present us faultless before the throne of God. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think, God is able to take wretched sinners like you and I who have nothing to offer him and make of us ones who are forgiven, ones who are clean, ones who are useful to his kingdom, and ones who will spend eternity with him. And that is a treasure.